Hi there, I'm Salima Noon. I'm a sexual health and empowerment educator based in Vancouver, Canada, and welcome to Growing Up Game Plan, the podcast. Growing Up Game Plan is a six-week online masterclass for preteens on being more confident, more prepared, and less stressed as they navigate life. We created this podcast to support you parents to do the same. You're in the right place if you want to understand what preteens struggle with. You want to be proactive and stay one step ahead of teen angst. You want to have or keep having meaningful conversations with your preteen about growing up. And you're looking for concrete, easy to implement tips on what to say and do. We don't have all the answers, but we want to support you in all of these goals. Parenting preteens is no joke. And sometimes you just got to call in for backup. That's us. So let's do this. I'm joined by my colleague, Julie Proder, co-creator of Growing Up Game Plan, our online masterclass for preteens. Julie is also a member of my Salima Noon Sexual Health Educators team. Julie, I am so excited about our conversation today because we are going to do one of our favorite things in the whole world, and that is to answer some of the more common questions preteens ask us about growing up and just Life is a preteen. You know it, Salima. One of the best parts of our jobs is answering those anonymous questions. I know. Uh, scribbled on little tiny bits of crinkled paper. <laughs> I swear that never gets old. <laughs> it's because we've all been there and we've all remember our, our question, right? Exactly. <laughs> so we uh, what we did here is we chose 10 anonymous um, frequently asked questions out of our extensive collection, as you can imagine, and sort of group them according to topic because answers often fall within similar categories, right? And often what we're trying to do is read that subtext, which is often, am I normal? Is my body normal, right? So uh, let's dive in here. All right. Question number one, what is the best way to tell someone you don't like the language that they're using? How do you tell your best friend or someone in your class that you don't like how they're treating you? Hmm, that is an important one. In our online masterclass for preteens growing up game plan, uh, we teach participants assertiveness skills that they can use to, you know, in situations where they need to stand up for themselves or stand up for someone else or stand up for something they believe in. The first step we teach is to check our body. What is our body saying? Because we know that nonverbal nonverbal communication rather is really important and really powerful. So we need to make sure that our shoulders are back. We're not fiddling any with anything because that says that we're nervous. Get our body um, ready to express ourselves in a way that people are going to listen. And we also can't forget eye contact. We need to look at the person in the eyes because eye contact says that we mean what we say and that we're not intimidated, even if we are, which would be totally healthy and normal, right? We teach our participants the trick that if they aren't comfortable looking at someone right in the eyes, they can look right underneath their eyebrows or between a person's eyes and the person would never know the difference. So there's a pro tip for you. Now, the key to being assertive is to use a powerful I statement. And I statements, just in a very simple way, express how we feel. So maybe we say, I don't like the language you're using, or I don't like how you're talking to me, or I find your language offensive, or I want you to stop talking like that. And the great thing about I statements is that people can't argue with them. They can't argue with our feelings, right? And so more often than not, they just 
kind of de-escalate the situation. So in a nutshell, those are some of the skills that we teach participants in our programs. But really, being assertive takes a lot of practice. Even as adults, we need to practice it. So we encourage parents to, whenever the opportunity comes up, uh, to do some role playing and to point out good examples of assertiveness in their everyday life. Awesome. And not to forget our little tagline, be boring to bully, right? Oh, yeah. Often someone's looking for a reaction. They're trying to stoke your fire. But if you're remaining, if you're remaining neutral, you've got that eye contact, you've got a straight face, you're not exploding, right? Or running away, then that's really going to send a strong message. I love that. That's right, Julie. Actually, I was in a grade six class yesterday. And one of the students said, how do I deal with a teenage brother? And so we talked about power and how when a teenage brother or anyone in your life really uh, does something or says something uh, because they want a reaction out of you, it's because they want your power. But if we don't give them that reaction, if we're boring to bully, they don't get the power they're looking for and they're going to go somewhere else for it. So yeah, absolutely. Being boring to bully is key. Awesome. So our next question, and I get this one almost every time I teach, uh, is something that sort of sounds like, how does someone know what gender they are? Or how does someone know if they're gay? Hmm. Yeah, these two questions sound the same, but refer to two totally different aspects of who we are. Um, Now, discovering who we are when it comes to either of these parts of ourselves is a different experience for everyone, right? Sometimes people know their whole life. Sometimes it's less clear. They take more of a windy road. Um, In our programs, we look at gender identity and sexual orientation in terms of being left-handed or right-handed or liking sushi or not liking sushi. It's not something we choose. It's just how we are. It's a piece of who we are. We just know. So as parents, we need to be open-minded and support our kids wherever they are in the discovery of themselves. And again, for some, this discovery is going to take longer than others. Yeah, that's a nice message that I think kids can resonate with or that they can feel some safety in is that identity is an ongoing thing, right? It's happening your whole life. It's not just a a quick decision at a certain age. (laughs) That's right. So next question is, why do girls get so pressured to look a certain way? Why is being flat chested bad or not sexy? The thing is, gender stereotypes tell us how we have to act, look and be in order to fit into the blue box for boys or the pink box for girls that society wants to shove us in. From pretty much the day we're born, we as girls learn that we're valued for our beauty and later sexiness, right? And even worse, these stereotypes tell us exactly what beautiful looks like. And it doesn't include being flat chested. So what we need to do is get rid of these rules that are so limiting to us and don't work for us anymore so that we can redefine beauty and celebrate all bodies in their uniqueness. Not only that, but the message we want to send to kids is that how we look, whether we're flat chested or not, is only one small piece of who we are as people. And that's not what matters when it comes down to it, right? Absolutely. And that's uh, that's a message that's going to take a lot of learning, right? A lot of trial and error, a lot of confidence building, and just a lot of self-discovery for kids. We want it to be a happy thing, a good thing. You're right, Julie. And, you know, parents often ask me, 
okay, but I tell my, my child all the time that their body is perfect and that they're beautiful, but they don't listen to me anymore. And so this is a good example of how we really need to call in the troops and get other people in our kids' lives. Maybe that's a classroom teacher or other reliable adults or their friends or older siblings or people in the media to reinforce this message, right? We as parents can't do it alone because the truth is, at a certain point, our kids are going to tune us out, right? Yeah, totally. And when we're fighting societal issues like that, it, it takes a village, right? <laughs> it does. So, you know, we feel really good about that in our masterclass for preteens growing up game plan, because we can be that other voice, right? We can be that outside person who's saying all the things that parents are telling their kids, but just in a slightly different way. And it, and it can resonate with kids differently. So here's another question. Uh, as we are getting into the territory of sort of that socio-emotional learning and puberty feelings, um, what's the best way to let out anger? Hmm. Well, there are lots of different ways of coping with emotions and the mood swings that are natural during puberty, and different things work for different people. What we do know for sure is that bottling up our emotions isn't healthy for anyone. But sadly, gender stereotypes tell, tell boys that this is what they need to do. If they express, emote, or ask for support, they're seen as weak and girly, which is the worst thing to be other than gay in the blue boy box, right? What we need to do is teach kids the value of honoring our emotions in a healthy way. And that's a huge focus of growing up game plan, as you know. So that may look like talking to a trusted friend or adult about what's bothering you or what's making you angry, getting your anger out in your journal, just writing down your feelings. Um, for me, exercising has always been a, a great way to blow off some steam, and I always feel better after. Um, we can listen to calm music, or sometimes you just got to get in the bath and scream as loud as you can <laughs> underwater. So <laughs> regardless of your how you identify when it comes to your gender, um, different things work for different people, and it's just a matter of finding what works for you. Yeah, it's amazing when I ask kids, how many of you sometimes go home and just punch your pillow or scream into your pillow and all the eyes get wide and the hands go up like, oh yeah, we do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a nice, uh, a nice le lesson in empathy there. Exactly. <laughs> My next question is, what if you like someone and they ask you for a nude photo and you don't want to send one, but you don't want them to not like you? What can you say? Hmm. Yeah, we talk about this with parents all the time. And let me tell you, it understandably totally stresses them out. Um, we know from research that at least one in four Canadian teens have received a nude and at least one in seven have sent one. Now, sexting is less common among preteens, but worthy of addressing because of the damage that can be caused when a nude is shared without consent. Between consenting adults, sexting can be a positive and healthy way to express one's sexuality or build intimacy, but because of the potential harm it can cause younger people, the response of a preteen or a teen to a request for a nude should always be no. So we suggest that preteens be proactive and brainstorm ways to respond to requests for nudes before it even happens. And they can say it in a way that feels right for them. So for example, a preteen might want to say, Ew, dude, that's gross, or it's not okay, or that's not cool. Other preteens might want to say, not right now. And this response buys time to think of a real, more permanent response, right? Especially if you're caught off guard. 
someone could say, no, I'm not into that, or stop harassing me, or an even more firm, no, and please don't ever ask me again. There are different ways we can get the same point across depending on both of our comfort level and who's asking for a nude. You know, a, a person's response to someone who they know very well or maybe are even in a relationship with would be very different from some rando online asking them for a nude out of the blue. Right? Absolutely. And when we paint the picture of internet predators being something that's far away and not in our communities and a scary, you know, thing, it really leaves out that real possibility that it's often someone in the school community, someone that you know, right? Yeah. Someone that's more close than you think. And I think that's an important message is that no matter who it is or what's happening, that kids are armed with that sort of assertiveness and they know a red flag when they see one. That's right, Julie. And you know, this is another good example of the importance of saying more sooner. This is something you wanna to talk to our kids about before it's actually part of their reality, you know? Mm -hmm. But again, yesterday I was working with a, another grade six class and when I asked them, so raise your hand if you know someone who has either asked for a nude or has sent a nude. And I would say about 30% of the class raised their hand. So this is absolutely something that parents of preteens need to, to dive into, right? Too early rather than too late. So we can be proactive about it. Yep. And we know that uh, in high school, that number's doubling, tripling, right? Oh, so yeah. why not prepare them beforehand, right? For sure. So a lot of kids are have questions about porn, pornography, even if they're not so clear on what the definition is. So they often ask us, what happens if you watch porn at a young age? The short answer is nothing's going to, quote, happen to young people if they watch porn. It's not going to traumatize them for their life forever. <laughs> it's not going to lead to a sex addiction or even a porn addiction. Research tells us those things don't even exist. What we worry about, though, is that what young people see in porn can be misleading or confusing or even disturbing to them. Uh, so for example, what they see in porn doesn't reflect a typical healthy sexual relationship. The bodies we see in porn don't reflect your typical healthy bodies that we see in real life, you know? Um, and it also makes some pretty bold assumptions about what people, specifically women, want and expect in a sexual relationship. And so if we believed in, you know, if we believed everything we saw in porn, we might think that um, girls should be up for everything. And consent doesn't matter. What really matters is what the guy wants. So there are some potentially damaging expectations that can be set from young people watching porn because they don't quite have the life experience under their belt to think critically about what's in front of them. And we don't want porn to be their first exposure to a sexual relationship, right? So that's why in all of our programs, especially in Growing Up Game Plan, where we focus a, a good chunk of time talking about pornography, we wanna urge them to really wait till they're an adult to make decisions about it because of these, um, this, these misconceptions and damaging expectations that can be created. And we also urge kids, of course, to um, tell a parent or another trusted adult if they see porn so that we can help them make sense of it. And of course, they would never be in trouble. We just want that opportunity to debrief with them. Absolutely. And just that message that these are adults 
that have consented. This is for entertainment. These are actors, right? And this is adult entertainment for those adults who, you know, wish to partake. That's a really good point, Julie, actually. You know, we need to to differentiate. We need to teach kids know, to know how to differentiate between um, what they're watching for education and for entertainment right? The two aren't the same. And so when it comes to our bodies and sexuality, pornography is certainly not the place to go. And consent is a perfect example too. I mean, more and more we know the consent conversations are happening in the porn industry, which is great, but they're not on camera, right? Mm. Because it's not interesting. That's not sexy. They happened before. And so especially for young people watching it, it's easy to assume that that's not happening when really it is, right? Absolutely. And I mean, we're getting better at this, right? Hollywood's getting better. We're now seeing things like consent conversations on camera. We're seeing things like condoms in sex scenes, which we never saw before, right? I know. So we as adults need to be critical about what we're consuming in the media and what is, what's healthy, right? Exactly. So a lot of kids want to know, is it normal to have crushes or attractions towards others during puberty? Absolutely it is. And it's also perfectly normal and healthy to not have these romantic or sexual feelings either because as we know, um, you know, the experience of puberty and the emotional changes that come with that are unique to all of us, right? Um, when we talk about crushes, we always encourage kids to think about respecting boundaries and privacy. So, um, you know, if someone has a crush on someone else, they may feel totally comfortable with it being announced over the morning announcements at school, <laughs> but their crush may not feel the same way. And so we need to make sure that however we're dealing with it or expressing it, we're respectful of their privacy and their boundaries. And it's also important for young people to understand that although these crushes are perfectly normal and healthy, they don't always have to act on it. They can just enjoy the feeling, the excitement of having these feelings. And they may or may not choose to share those feelings with their crush. Maybe they just want to share it with a friend or a family member. So I think boundaries and privacy and just enjoying the feelings without pressure to act on them is key. Of course, it's a sensitive time for everyone, everyone, right? So I like that message about respect. So a lot of kids want to know, how do I know if my relationship is healthy? And keep in mind, at this age, when we say relationship, we're also putting friendships in, into that category for them. Oh, yeah, that's right. As you know, Julie, in Growing Up Game Plan, we devote an entire module to talking about what a healthy relationship looks like both a romantic relationship and a friendship. And we also talk about what those relationships do not look like, what an unhealthy relationship would look like. We stress that the healthiest relationships are hairy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Kids love it. And by hairy, I mean H-E-R-I. That's the acronym we use because we know from research that the experts tell us the most healthy relationships are honest, they're equal, they're respectful, and they're of integrity. Now, of course, there are many more characteristics of healthy relationships that are important to consider, but the research tells us these are the characteristics that are most commonly mentioned by the experts. And so we teach preteens about what it means to have a hairy relationship and what that would look like. And what do you do if a relationship of yours isn't hairy? Um, there are things that build up a relationship and things that break down a relationship. And 
what are those things? How can we take our relationships and make them as hairy as possible? And if a relationship is, isn't hairy, do we have to end it? Not necessarily. We brainstorm different things we can do to build that relationship back up again. I love that advice. And I think we need to remind ourselves that, you know, when you're in grade four and you have a fight with your friend, it feels like the end of the world, right? So parents sort of need to take take a step back and sort of say, you know what? Friendships change. People change. You have a lot more friendships and relationships ahead of you. Like, let's not dwell, right? Let's hang out with people that make us feel good about ourselves. Exactly. So I guess a lot of kids are kind of wondering, um, why do friends become so important? And why are these things often changing as we get older? How is... Can you speak a little bit uh, to the sort of growing up process in that respect? Yeah, for sure. As we grow up and learn more about who we are, we start to look more to our peers than to our parents for that approval and validation that we all need. It's a process that psychologists call individuation and separation, and it's necessary for us to become our own people independent from our parents. But we also teach preteens that it's important to keep their parents in the loop, to let them in once in a while. You still need them and they want to be there for you. So while we naturally are moving away from maybe spending as much time as we used to with our parents and looking to them um, for gratification or for guidance, um, we also need to keep them close. And we also suggest to parents that although the natural instinct is to hold on tighter as their preteens are moving away, we need to let go a little bit and they will come back. But to know that the stepping away from you is just a perfectly necessary part of growing up. Absolutely. And trust that if you've set them up with the right tools and you've had some of these conversations about health and relationships and sexuality, that when your teens or preteens come to a bump in the road, they're still going to want to lean on you when they need help. Right. And that is a great feeling. That's right, Julie. So important. Okay, guess what? We are out of time. Oh my gosh, I could answer these questions all day long. I just love it so much. And I know you agree with me, Julie, when we're in the classroom or when we get emails from students, all of their questions are so well thought out, so scientific and so worthy of scientific answers. So we take the opportunity whenever we can to provide them with those. Best part of the job. (laughs) So Julie, on our next episode, we are going to talk about something that parents ask us about all the time. It's something that we have learned a lot about in the past few years and something that we have a lot more awareness around than when we were growing up. I'm going to leave it at that and keep you in suspense. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Can't wait. Thanks for being here with me, Julie. We'll see you soon. We'll see you next episode. Thanks, Salima. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Growing Up Game Plan, the podcast, where our goal is to support parents as they navigate the preteen trenches. Looking for more? Check out our newest program, Growing Up Game Plan. Growing Up Game Plan is a six-week online masterclass for preteens age 9 to 12-ish that sets them up to celebrate who they really are, to use their inner power to honor, manage, and express their emotions, to stay safe and have fun online, to come to terms with puberty, to stand up for themselves and what they believe in, and to foster healthy relationships. Growing Up Game Plan gets your preteen thinking and reflecting on things that matter. We give you peace of mind and they learn skills they can use for a lifetime. And we help you both learn to have meaningful, open conversations moving forward. Go to www.salimanoon.com if you'd like to learn more about Growing Up Game Plan 
or to join our waitlist to be the first to know about when registration opens up next. We got you.